Hey everyone, my name's Jen. I'm a licensed minister, a certified trauma-informed coach, and your host. Today we're here to save the pain. podcast brought to you by New Course Coaching, a trauma-informed coaching company focused on trauma recovery. Welcome back, everybody. Big news today. We are wrapping up Say the Pain. That's right. For season one. For season one. Let me clarify that. And I am going to sound a little different today. I have been ill, but I've been diagnosed as well. So I am here and well today. I am on day 10 of my wellness journey according to the doctors. So if I sound different, it's just because I'm better. So other than that, um, we get to jump right in to today's final episode for season one. And the reason it is the final episode, if you haven't caught the past couple of episodes, we are, Jeremiah and I, I should say, are expecting our first child, first viable pregnancy. And so due to that, Say the pain is going to take a little bit of a break, which is exciting. What? Before we end, we have special guests today, Seth Nickham, who is a personal trainer at Anytime Fitness out of the Des Moines area in Iowa. He graduated with a bachelor's in criminal justice out of Iowa, and he is a Age of Empires 2 player. I was informed. Prior to this recording, Age of Empires 1 and Age of Empires 2 are two very, very different games. So, Seth, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. And Seth today is actually going to tackle a pretty, what I would call, sensitive topic. But we are just going to talk about surviving suicide and having someone close to us who has committed suicide, but then also living through that. So Seth, this is your platform. So you get to kind of jump in. If you have anything else you want to add to your intro, feel free. Otherwise, you can kind of start wherever you'd like. Perfect. So I'm going to start with, uh, his name is Blaine. And this is going to be the August 29th, 2021 day. Um, I will say, I'm not going to mention where it happened just for professionalism. I'm just here today to tell my experience. So the night that it happened, actually was the night right before school where a big party happens and typically everyone does go to this party like almost the whole campus so all of us are getting ready and i should mention that this was in a fraternity so i talk about brothers that makes a little more sense i can't remember exactly but 
We either saw our friend on the floor outside a room or he came and got us. And this is the moment that we found out that Blaine had taken his life. And there was two of us that he came up to and we had asked to see the body because we couldn't believe it. And we saw our friend on the floor where the rope had been cut off to try and save him, but it had been too late. And then the next step was getting everyone outside of the building for protocol. So we went yelling for everyone who was in the building, partying, et cetera, to leave. Once we got that done, all of us had to stay out until emergency services were there and got the situation under control. And this is where everyone started to go to their separate places or just to be away. At the time, I called my current girlfriend and went to her house close by. If anyone knows me, I'm a man of very little emotion. And typically it's very positive emotion if I do have it. I just laid there speechless. I couldn't leave. I couldn't get the words out of my mouth that my friend had just committed suicide. I started bawling uncontrollably. I had three friends with me at the time who were not close to playing. They had never really seen me like this. They never really seen me as so much close to a bad mood. They didn't know what to do because what do you do with a man who's uncontrollably sobbing? But we're going to cut to about 30 minutes later. They're all called back to the building and everyone was trying to corral one another to come together. And at this time, as you can imagine, all this self-blame was happening. Each young man thinking it was their fault. They weren't there for him. So addressing self-blame or being the individuals who walk in on seeing your friend who has just committed suicide and you, in your words, saying it's, it was too late after uh, your one friend attempted to cut him down and really recognizing that. Could you kind of talk about that process of going into blaming yourself? How did that set in? Where did that take you? So right away, you know, you, um, the three of us, right. saw our friend there. I mean, your first thought is if only I had been hanging out with him, he wouldn't be like that. Or if only I had checked on him a little bit earlier, you know, I could have saved him. Just going down that rabbit hole of why wasn't I there for him? What could I have done differently to be there for him? Because none of us had heard from him like all day Sunday and none of us thought much of it. Cause you know, we're, we're in college. Maybe he needed to study or he needed to get something done. And then just going through that night and seeing that we're like, why didn't we check on him earlier? Why didn't we do this earlier? Um, you go down all this list of why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? And you just keep thinking to yourself, if I wouldn't have been so selfish, if I wouldn't have been so self, self-absorbed in my own, my own life of living, if I wouldn't have been, I said, like I said, that party, if I wouldn't have been so focused on, you know, going to enjoy a party that at this point meant very little to us anymore. Like we saw all the party going on and none of us cared. It's hard. It's hard to think, well, what if, yeah, I say that's the rabbit hole that I personally went down. What if I had checked on him earlier? What if I had knocked on his door earlier? What if I had hung out with him, you know, that day? So, yeah. Did you feel like that set in really quickly? Oh, yeah. That, for me, once I saw it, it was shock. And then, you know, when we came back for the meeting, which was maybe 30 minutes to an hour later, yeah, I was pretty much like, why didn't I do this? Very little times did I think, why didn't we do this? It, 
it was always why didn't I do it? So yeah. Do you feel like there was a time frame of where your grief kind of shifted that focus, or do you feel like you carried that for pretty much all of your grief? I would say I carry it for a lot more than I thought. Because just like with any tragic thing that happens, you're going to have better days. You're going to have worse days where you think about it a lot, where you're not thinking about it as much. But I think I carried that blame for a long time. Um, still to this day, you know, there's some times where, you know, that blame comes back up, you know, what could have been, you know, where could he have been now if I hadn't been so selfish. But I say I'm at a point now where it's just, I feel I'm at a point now. I should say that I feel I may not be actually. I just can't wait to see him again one day. So that's what I'd say. So it's weird. Yeah. It shifts a little bit for me personally. It shifted a little bit from blaming myself too. Well, now I just can't wait to see him again one day. Thanks for being willing to share that. And so you, you go in and you find him. And now you said you. Yeah. You're kicking everybody out. Yep. And then you're kind of coming back to, I don't want to call reality again, but you're almost walking back into this again. Yeah. So you're walking back to the building where you're going to gather downstairs with, I think it was one teacher, one counselor. So we went to our basement where... We tried to get everyone we could there, you know, everyone who was involved in this organization, just for the counselor teacher to let us know that, hey, you know, there are resources to help you guys process this. There are resources to help you, but you can only say that so much before we're just sitting there. I say emotions were definitely flared. There was a little bit of commotion actually, as I'm remembering, you know, those little tidbits, but you know, it, it wasn't anything that was serious because we all just were like, Hey, this is not the time for any animosity. Let's just do what we can. So that night the sleeping, obviously very little was had. And then like I said, it was the day before classes. So the next morning I woke up just feeling numb, just feeling numb this ladder of grief the dabda you know denial anger ordering depression acceptance but sometimes it doesn't go quite in that order yep or sometimes you are just going through a lot of things at a lot of times what did you notice because you talk about feeling numb there was a lot of emotion at that initial gathering Yes, yes. But that affects your sleep. Yep. You wake up the next day and you're supposed to go to class and just life normally. But yeah. life is not normal. Yep. So when you talk about feeling dumb, what was your day like? Yeah, so I woke up, I went to class. I even went and lifted, went to football practice. I will say I did not actually participate in practice. I simply was there. So I would like to make that distinction. I simply just was at practice. I had, yeah, I was at practice. I want to also say this. A lot of my friends did not go to class or do what I did. But I, for me personally, I know if I had dwelled on it, I wouldn't be doing healthy decisions 
to keep it together. So keeping busy was better in the long run. This is from you personally. I say that insane. So if you're someone who needs time to process, do not do what I do because it's not, not easy either way, but talking to teachers and coaches about my attitude that day, they can truly understand my attitude was not from them, but from what happened was hard, but they were all understanding because I mean, how do you respond to a kid who says I'm here today, but I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything because this happened. And a lot of them simply said, I understand, you know, please take your time. And thankfully a lot of them did do exactly that. The day itself, I couldn't even tell you what classes I had that day. I really couldn't. Um, I'd have to go back and actually look at my class schedule to tell you what day is. Because uh, obviously I didn't learn anything. Like that's feeling numb. You're, you don't absorb anything new. You're just sitting there kind of empty. You're, some of my thought process was, why am I here today? How do I make this, this numbness go away? How long am I going to deal with this as well? That's really hard to do because it's the day after you're already thinking of these things. Like, oh, I had to, I have to deal with this every day now. You know, it's not something you just, it's a one-time day and you're done with it. No, you got to deal with it every day now. And then actually talking to my coach, I was a defensive lineman. So a lot of physical position. I'm always hitting people almost every play. Told my D-line coach, my head coach, I said, I'm coming to practice today, but please know that I'm not participating. The reason is because if I were to get in that mindset of hitting people, I was definitely afraid of taking it to an extreme because all my emotions were everywhere. And not even the fact, like I was the biggest guy on team, just the fact of you get someone full of all these emotions, it becomes very dangerous on a football field because you want to stay composed on a football field. And it was just practice too. So in my mind, I felt, you know, I, I don't want to stir up a ton of emotions and then feel more drained. So I asked not to participate and they were understanding, you know, I think more than anything, they saw a young man who was, you know, hurting, who didn't really understand why he was there. He just simply walked himself to class and walked himself to lifting and practice. Cause like I said before, I'm usually a man of very positive energy. I love positivity. I think it makes the day go by so much faster. And they were all used to this. And then to see that same man just be there and not have anything about him, you know, takes a lot out of not only me personally, but it's gotta take a little bit for the teachers, the people who are there that care about you. And sometimes I do wonder if they asked why I was even there. Because a lot of people stayed back in their rooms just with each other hanging out. So I do wonder if some people asked why I was even there. But that is a long tangent just on how the day went. Obviously, even talking now, there was lots of emotions that you know, I couldn't process that day. I just kind of went one foot and kept walking. So yeah. And that kind of brings us to uh, where we actually were having another meeting. I believe this one was in the chapel on on the uh, on campus. So this one had a few counselors, again, reminding us that it's okay to open up. It's okay not to be okay. Being heavily reminded that is not that it is not our fault. Though, like back to what we said, I felt that 
that it was mine. And I'm sure a lot of others felt that way as well. The week went on, the pain was there, but daily life helped take the edge off. Saturday, the funeral was scheduled and me and me and a few friends stayed up all night. We did partake watching funny shows to help numb the life. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a hard night that night. No one had to go to that channel the next day. And here you're actually trying to shift into numbing those emotions where you were numb. Now you'd like to be numb. What was that transition like in going from feeling numb into just feeling overload? Yeah. Great question. And, and it was kind of showing how I talked about that day was, yeah, it was so overloaded that I liked the feeling numb part because I didn't have to feel that overwhelming sensation of emotion. You know, I shut out, shut out the world, just me and a few friends in a room watching a really stupid show, just laughing trying to avoid what we were going to have to feel that next day, you know, because it was going to be that over surge of emotion, that really heaviness that you're going to have to feel. So trying to get a little piece back, you know, of happiness. Yeah. I say that was kind of the shift now is I was wanting to feel, not feel life, but feel that little bit of joy again, you know, that you had before everything happened. You know, we always say, oh, I wish it was the way it was before. And we did wish that to a certain extent because we did wish we still had a, our friend here with us that day. But yeah, that was kind of, for me personally, obviously, that was my shift was wanting to feel that joy again. So the way I did that was trying numb all the emotions that I was feeling. So I wasn't high, low, high, low all the time. I was just kind of even keel. And keep in mind, when I mentioned family, that I was part of fraternity and we consider ourselves brothers. So we went to a funeral as a family that day, a group of brothers who had now known how cruel life was, a group of brothers who understood the only thing we have in this life was each other and how we treated one another. We understood any small fights were inconsequential to life itself. This type of tragedy can break a family or build one. And I can honestly say those brothers I had, I would do anything for to this day. But the funeral was a blur. I sat there, fighting tears the whole time, squeezing brother's hands by me. It was eye-opening how important every interaction with someone is, no matter what. For you, recognizing you're at this funeral just a few days after losing a friend, what interactions started playing in your mind of being like really important, recognizing, you know, that was important to me, or that is something I should maybe would have paid more attention to if I would have known I was, I would be sitting here. Yeah. One of them is, you know, simply enjoying each other's company. Like just sitting in a room, we could be doing the most mundane task of, uh, just playing a video game, but that is so awesome. When you think about it, just seeing people having fun, laughing with one another. So like those types. You don't think about them being that important, but they are so important because you're, you're enjoying each other's company without really saying that you're saying, I love spending time with you because you wouldn't be spending time with them if you didn't love spending time with them and playing video games. We had a small group of people 
that would come and lift with me in the morning. And yeah, I say just understanding that, yeah, lifting also with these brothers is also something that's awesome. You know, cherish it. You don't know what's going to happen next. You know, it's, it's working out. You're going to be able to work out pretty much for the rest of your life. So yeah, but it's not something you think about being super important. So just that, that type of interaction, what you say to one another is very important. Like I said earlier in here, you know, any small like tip we had, any small disagreement we had, it just showed how unimportant it was. It's like, that doesn't matter right now. I want you to know you're my brother. We're going to have tiffs. Who cares? Just know I'm, I'm here for you no matter. Saying simple things, you know, before you leave each other, like drive safe, you know, be safe, have a good time, you know, can't wait to see you again if we were leaving for the school year. Uh, good luck, you know, we're going to do awesome. Stuff like that, you say it just out of politeness. But if you really think about it, think about what you're saying. You know, good luck with life. Have fun with what you're about to do. I hope it is fun. I'm rooting it for you. Uh, drive safe. Please be home safe because I care about your safety. Uh, right? And then obviously, you know, that is a group of guys who actually, we started to use, I love you a lot more, which is something don't hear a lot of young men say to each other anymore. So I did start saying that a lot. What really stuck out to you at the funeral? That's a hard one. Because like I said, the, the funeral really was a blur. I guess the only thing I could really say about the, the funeral itself was just, I had a lot of gratitude. Gratitude for that brotherhood, that family I walked in with. Um, that brotherhood family that, you know, I was going to, we were going to be there for each other. And we were there for each other in that instance right there. Um, we took up, I believe three pews, just us, just us and a few people close to us. Yeah, I apologize, but I, I really can't, I can't remember much about the funeral itself other than the one brother I me who made him, and you don't hear, so I don't really hold hands with, with any of my guy friends, but I mean, him, the reason that stuck out to me is because it, any macho-ness, any of that, like, oh, I'm too cool to hold someone's hands. It just went out the window because, uh, you know, you needed someone there for reassurance. Say so if anything, right, my biggest reaction would be sitting there holding a brother's hand, you know, and didn't really care if anyone saw me holding this hand because like, that's, that's just how we're processing this right now. And really allowing that relationship to operate as a true brother. Yes. Yeah. So then after the funeral, I can't remember how many nights had passed or if it was a week or so, but we did have a, a vigil where I would say almost half the school showed up. So a school of a thousand, almost half showed up to show their respect, showing this younger man's reach and character. And we had a microphone and everyone started saying amazing things about him. It really was beautifully sad. A group of people coming together, all different, but with one goal, 
afterwards, this close band that I call brothers and family, we had a group prayer circle. And I luckily, I do have photos of that circle. It is a picture I hold very dear to my heart because it reminds me in trying time as family succeeds. So after those first two weeks, never seemed to get easier. You just got stronger. Put one foot in front of the other. You take one problem at a time. You put love before anything. I made a vow to never tell someone no if they needed me, no matter what the time. It is one I take very seriously, where I've stayed up um, until 5 a.m. just talking. What did you notice was the difference in those who were in Blaine's fraternity versus those who were just going to school with Blaine? Was there like a different processing? Was it a longer time frame of processing? Right. I will say within the fraternity, definitely a longer process from what I saw, because I was closest with, with those individuals, because it still affected us, you know, when we, you know, went through the school year, everything like that. The difference is, you know, we were living in the building that it happened. You had a constant reminder already right there. And for people, and there are people who were close with him outside of this fraternity. So those people I do know. They also, you know, would text us, you know, quite often. And I was close with a few, a few of those guys. We'd make sure, you know, if we were having a hard time, just, you know, texting one another, simply talking to one another. But people outside of the closeness, the biggest thing, I would say the biggest difference is it affected them for a week because... They wanted to be there. They wanted to show their support for these people who were, you know, were facing this, you know, having to deal with this. But then a week went by and they were all back within their normal routines, everything like that. And as they should have been, because, you know, they were not close to playing, but they showed their support. You know, the fact they even showed support shows a lot of character for, you know, this school. Because how many people would just be like, well, I don't know. I'm not going to go. But this school took time out of their, out of their weeks to come show support. Everything like that. So for them, it really, it just affected them for a little bit. Uh, and if they had experienced it before, I do believe it would have probably affected them a little bit more. If they had experienced it before, somewhat close by them. But since they weren't close with this individual, maybe for a week or two, you know, they sat there reflecting, trying their support. But then for people close to him, it was more, we we're going to have ups and downs. Like I remember specifically one time, this would have been, oh, I don't know, three weeks after everything. So the actual night he did it, the funeral, the vigil, and I was in the shower or as in the shower and we have those you know called showers so you don't get much privacy it's a curtain basically that's all you get and i was sitting on a bench right there in a shower and my buddy just heard me crying then he didn't have to say a word he just stood there you know he looked at me he just kind of nodded he just stood there with me just let me just let me cry because that he knew that's all i needed i just needed him right there you know let my emotions go uh, and that was you know three weeks to a month later it was you know still affecting us just you know we'd have our better days 
our worst days, stuff like that, and making sure and continuously making sure that each of us knew we were there for each other. That was the biggest thing, just constantly reminding each other, it's okay if it still affects you, it's okay if you're not over it yet, was the biggest thing. You come around to graduation that year, and we didn't have a big graduating class section that year, but he would have been one of those people. So even at graduation, it had still affected us that were close to him, because he would have been in our graduating numbers. You think about that and, you know, just paying our respects to him however we could. So on his birthday, I'm going to get his birthday wrong, of course, on here. I believe it's April. I know it's in April. We actually lit off, uh, it's April 1st. We lit off lanterns, just some like Walmart lanterns. And there was five of us that lit those lanterns off. So the people really close to him lit those lanterns off. So while the people in school, long, long, probably long gone, forgotten about everything that happened the previous semester, because it happened on August and now we're in April. There was five of us that lit the lanterns off. So the biggest thing is time. I say people who are directly affected, they get back to normal life faster. People are directly affected. They'll get back to normal life, but it's going to weigh on them every day. How long do you feel like it took you to get back to quote unquote normal life? That is a good question. Wow. Getting back into the routine, it didn't take me very long. I'm a very routine person. I like my routine. But getting back where my routine felt normal, I would say two, three months, to be completely honest. Yeah. Like, was I in my routine? Yes. Was I all 100% mentally there? Every day? No. No. Honestly, it was not. But when I did get, quote unquote, back to my normal attitude towards my routine, it was definitely a much different perspective of what I had started the year with. Started the year with, this is going to be such a fun year. It's my senior year. Let's have lots of fun. You know, go crazy, go go-karting every day, whatever. After it, it started with me, how can I make best out of every situation I'm in? How can I get people to enjoy every single day that I'm here? And I'm very thankful for the friends I did make because I made a lot of friends and not squandering time with friends was, became so important to me. You know, if I sat in your room for like an hour, you know, some of my buddies, I would sit in their room, talk. I didn't want to squander that time. I was like, your time is so precious to me, please. I forget that, you know, and I didn't always tell them that. I wish, I mean, I wish I, I would tell them that now to this day. Hey, your time is precious to me. Like even if it's a simple interaction of how you doing, doing all right, all right, perfect. Good luck. So yeah, getting back to the routine, routine guy here. So this is just me personally. I probably got back a little bit faster because I liked my routine. I was not in my routine 
mentally a hundred percent till two, three months afterwards. So Seth, originally we had connected about you coming on, say the pain to share your story this past July. Now I know why I think this is important, but I'd love to hear why it's important to you to share your story. Okay. Yeah. One reason it is important is because one of the highest rate of suicides is young men. And there's a lot of stigma about men's mental health. Be, you know, don't share anything, be strong, be independent. And I believe that is a catalyst for these young men taking their lives because they do bottle up everything. And then when it finally comes to a boiling point, they may feel they have no other choice, but like, I want to just end all this pain and suffering when simply just, you know, letting it out, letting those emotions flow could be the difference, you know? Uh, so it's a very important topic for me, especially since, yeah, I did have a, I did have a close friend who did it, but also I know there's lots of young men. I had two in high school. Um, they weren't close friends of mine, but two young men in high school that committed suicide, you know? So I've been on the close and I've been on the indirect relationships with these victims. Um, and I don't believe anyone in their lifetime should have to be in a school or be part of schools where even one young man took his life. That's why it's so important to me. Yeah. And really looking at the value of human life in general. Yeah. And I really appreciate the candor in addressing very raw emotional moments. If you were to look at somebody who's currently going through what you have, a close friend, a close relative who has committed suicide, what would you look at them and encourage them with? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're going through it, say, please know it is, it is not your fault. That may take years to sink in, but it is not. Another important thing is never blame the victim. Know the demons that they faced. We don't understand, but it's not the victim's fault either. And a lot of people ask why, don't ask why, just remember the good of them and remember their last. And for those who maybe are supporting individuals who are directly involved with processing a close friend and relative who was suicided. How can they be an important and effective support system for that individual who's processing? Right. Yeah. It's a very hard line to balance. But if you do know someone in this boat, let them take their time. Let them take their time to process. Say each person will handle it differently. Simply listen. Do not try and fix them. Be a shoulder to lean on. Be a shoulder to cry on. And just simply tell them you love them. Such a powerful word. And when we look at your story and you talked about how you had experienced it somewhat indirectly in high school and then more directly in your senior year of college, really we're just over the two-year mark for you, really processing that anniversary. Does that still affect you at all? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this year, uh, someone sent a group chat. Um, that we had, you know, 
So he knows what today is. He's like, reach out if anyone needs anything. So yeah, it definitely affects us because a lot of us, you know, it's a very hard day for all of us to really just go through year after year. You know, we're only two years in and I don't know what, you know, the next few years will bring, but I simply responded with, you know, love you all. I said, and I didn't need them to respond to me. I just needed them to know that, you know, simply the way I process it each year, it really depends on what I'm doing. It's a hard one because that's just, you want to remember all the good about him, right? You want to remember his jokes, um, just the good parts that the good days you had with him, but then all the emotions swell up of what happened that day. And, you know, it's, it's hard to balance remembering the good, but also acknowledging what happened. Yeah. Those days, I'll be honest, I kind of just, I put my head down, I put my head down and I work, I'll work out, whatever, you know, make sure to pray. You know, God, if there's one person you let me see, you let me see him. Yeah. I say for, for me personally, it just. Remembering the good, acknowledging what happened, just saying, I love you to those brothers I had that I have, I shouldn't say hat that I have still to this day. I say, I, I do remember the first year, the first year anniversary, um, I actually texted every member in that house who was currently in the house and had been, been at the house during the tragedy. I text them each individually because I was out of the house at this time, you know, working so like that, but I, I knew how important this day was. So I texted each person individually, you know, let me know if you need anything just because it was the year anniversary. And typically I would say the year is the hardest. And then after that, it's just, you know, you maybe call a couple of good friends talk, but. Do you feel those days? where your emotions are more intense, like you said, just kind of putting your head down. Do you feel like those days come less frequently or are they less intense? What has your experience been? Yeah, so actually that's a, that's a really great question because we talked about getting back to that normal routine and absolutely it was very much a wave. I'd have days where it was, I would have to consciously put my head down and work, you know, just to try and navigate those intense emotions and other days I could kind of cruise, kind of level headed, you know, and then I'd hit another few days, which I'm like, nope, it's intense. Hit a few days level, hit a few days intense. Again, that two to three month range was the most intense of flux. I would say I had then after that. It definitely slowed down that initial shock those initial emotions cooled down. And then now two years out, I would say very rarely do I have a day where I really feel those emotions and have to kind of work through it. Definitely the anniversary is one where if it's going to happen, it happens on the anniversary. Then another one is his birthday. That one's a little less intense just because I attribute so much of the tragedy to August 29th and not April 1st. Brain is weird like that. But yeah, I would say any more happens very rarely. 
you know, if I hear stories about, oh, you know, someone took their life or someone did this, I will say I have an immense empathy for that person, but it would have affected me a lot more closer to a tragedy. But now it's more of a deep empathy, but also I can't let myself, you know, get that level of emotion because it will start that whole process of really intense kind of level again. And like I said, day to day, foot one foot in front of the other, you, you get stronger. I will say the tragedy never, ever gets smaller. It never does. I'm sure that's been said on a few of your episodes, tragedy never gets uh, smaller. You just get stronger, you get bigger, you grow, right? Cause that tragedy will always, always be big. That's one thing I would like to say. Absolutely. And as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you can think of that we haven't covered that we should? Um, I would just like to say a little bit about the young man who did commit suicide, if that's all right. Yeah. So this young man, he was one of the most joyful men you would know. He was always laughing. He was always inviting us to his room. We actually watched, if you know the show WandaVision, we'd have a viewing party in his room every time a new episode came out. Um, he was always joking, playing video games, Call of Duty zombies, all those fun stuff. Or he'd be trying to study for two hours a day and we would interrupt him like all day. He would get nothing done. <laughs> he had like a, put this in perspective, this young man had a 4.0 GPA, one of the smartest kids, wanted to go to chiropractic school. And if anyone wants to be a chiropractor, it's not easy. But the coolest thing about this young man is you could go to him about anything. He was always one to put others first. Um, and I say this with deep respect for this young man. He was the closest person I have seen be a real life superhero because of his attitude. Uh, he truly did put others first and to have that level of his attitude, it really put into perspective, you know, how awesome he was. And then to add three things that I did not do that I wish I did at the time was I sadly was not in church, so I didn't have a prayer life. And second, I did not read my Bible as much as I should have at this time. So if you are someone who's going through this and you are a prayer and you do, I treat the Bible that is so powerful because I went through this without doing much of that and it, you know, having a relationship with God is so important to help you through these times. Not saying that it would have been easier with God, but you would have had that support of prayer, that support Bible to encourage you, to inspire you. And I really just, I used other means that were not healthy is the biggest thing. So that means that we're not healthy. So prayer Bible is a much more healthy alternative. So I would like to add that. Yeah, thank you for that, Seth. And when someone is trying to cope with a difficult time or trauma, it's really hard to look at them and tell them not to grieve a certain way or don't process it that way. Right, yeah, exactly. For those listening, if there was anything discussed today that was triggering or hard to hear 
or maybe even you found it offensive, I would just like to say that that is not the intention of this platform, but rather it is to allow individuals who are willing to talk about their journey through trauma. And many times it's very challenging to talk about and turn around and discuss the tools and the lessons that they learned through it for anyone who's coming behind them. And that's not to say that every situation or every circumstance is going to look the same if you've experienced a trauma that's been talked about on this podcast, but rather it is just a resource for you. And if something mentioned on here is helpful, we celebrate that. And if it isn't, well, I just still would like to honor the experience and the willingness of every guest to come on and share what they have gone through. So with that being said, Seth, this is a really important topic because sometimes it's an intimidating topic because people, what they do go through, there's a lot of emotion behind this. But I love how you incorporated the understanding of really telling people that you do love them, but also kind of having a genuine motive behind that, really viewing somebody as important and interactions with those people as important with your brothers that you talked about, you know, really letting, hey, I love you, meaning that. And I really appreciate you coming on today to just tell your story. Thank you for having me. Well, everyone, that is a wrap for Say the Pain Season 1. I cannot give a definite return date as we are just hoping and praying that this pregnancy goes smoothly. But what I can guarantee you is if you will watch New Course Coaching on Facebook as well as our website at newcoursecoaching.co, we will be letting everybody know once season two will start up again. But I hope you have a wonderful rest of your 2023 year. And we will see you in 2024. But until then, make a difference. God bless. Bye-bye.